Today, the United States craft beer industry employs over 100,000 individuals brewing more than 24 million barrels of beer per year. That generates $22.3 billion. That's a lot of numbers when we're talking about beer. It's making me dizzy. I'm going to need a beer after this. That's a pretty big industry, but it only represents about 12% of market share of the overall beer industry. So it, while it's big business and it's all business, is not the whole business. Now, my next guest is often considered the grandfather of the craft brew movement. In 1984, he took an unwinnable David and Goliath struggle, one guy against the mammoth American beer industry, when others scoffed at Jim Cook's plan to leave his consulting job, and he was working at a really big one with lots of big money in it, and he started a brewery that would challenge the American palates. He chose a 19th century family recipe and launched Samuel Adams. As co-founder and chairman of the Boston Beer Company, he's releasing a new book called Quench Your Own Thirst, Business Lessons Learned Over a Beer or Two. Maybe you should have said three or four or five, but hey, just a beer or two. He's telling his story of founding and growing his business. He joins us to discuss his success and why he hopes the future of the beer industry is in craft brewing. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, Jim, I always uh, like to um, ask a bunch of questions that my fans sent in from all over the country, and you, you generated a lot of those, by the way, the, probably the most of any guest I've had so far. And the first one comes from Harry Rosakis. Now, Harry just has a new book out. I know that because I've seen it. And, and he says to talk about the early years. And I'd like to go to your early years. You know, when I first read about you, because I knew you, I've seen you on TV, and I've seen what you've done and what you've built, built. I thought you were like this blue-collar kind of guy. And then, but then I see you went to Harvard, you went to Boston Consulting Group, and but talk to me about the early years. How did you get started with this business? Well, I kind of started, I guess, first by blowing up the life that I had. You know, you, yeah. you, as you point out, um, I was a management consultant here in Boston, and I was doing something that I enjoyed, but I didn't love it. And mm -hmm. over time, I, you know, I enjoyed it less and less. Uh, and I felt like, you know, I wasn't really learning a lot of new stuff. And so I had that situation that I think that a lot of people are in where they have a job. It's a good job. There's a lot of security there. They've, you know, built something of a career. And then I ask myself the question, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Yeah. And the answer that I had for myself was no. And once I had that answer, I realized, well, if I want to do it the rest of my life, then I probably don't want to do it tomorrow. So I went in, um, I, uh, you know, gave my notice, I gave them like six months notice so I could work out uh, things with my clients and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and I then started to think about, well, what would I really love to do? Um, what would make me happy? And um, the book, Quench Your Own Thirst, is, is built around business lessons, learned over a beer or two, but yeah. each chapter is a lesson. And as I started thinking about 
a business or a career that they might want to be in, um, I approached it differently because I think most people, when they think about starting a business or you know going to a new career, they think about well, what's going to make me rich? You know, how can I make a lot of money? Mm-hmm. What business can I start that you know is going to uh, enable me to retire to Malibu? Um, or something like that. Or South, Di- South Dakota, where I'm from. South Dakota, because most people think about Well, there you go. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can go to Mitchell and live in the Corn Palace. Holy that, moly, there, the, there's a reference right there. I'm impressed already right there. You must, you've been to the Corn well, Palace. Well, I'm from the Midwest, right. so you know, I didn't always live in Boston. I grew yeah. up in Ohio. Yeah, you were Cincinnati, and, right? You know, You're from and, Cincinnati, I recall. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I was pretty grounded, and I thought, um, I'm not looking for something that's going to make me rich, but what am I passionate about, and can I turn that into a business? And I decided that I wanted to brew beer. I wanted to brew really high-quality beer here in the United States, which effectively nobody was doing mm-hmm. back in 1984. And I developed a business plan that's somewhat embarrassing now, but my business plan was that the business would grow to a little over a million dollars a year in sales. It would be eight employees. We'd make about 5,000 barrels of beer a year. And I could pay myself, you know, uh, not the kind of money that I was making as a management consultant, but enough that I could have uh, a perfectly fine life, supportive family. Wouldn't gonna make me rich, wouldn't even be how much I was making before, but it would make me happy. Yeah, it's a good. We, we'd and call that. We'd call advice. that. A, we'd call that a lifestyle business, right? I mean, it's a good life, and which is great. Exactly. Yeah. And at the end of the day, which would you rather have: a big pile of money or a good life? Right. Unless you're a sociopath, you want a good life, and yeah. most people don't think about their career and you know a business that they might start prioritizing happiness over money. Mm-hmm. Hey, now, when, when I think back of the names Samuel Adams, now, of course, it's Boston uh, Beer Company, but, but when you think about picking up the name that you did with Samuel Adams, what, what, what made you think of, of naming the beer after him? I named my beer Samuel Adams because he was a patriot, he was a revolutionary, he was a radical. He was a, um, ruffian. He was... He was a ruffian. I mean, if you look back in history, I'm kind of a history buff, and I have a a lot of relatives who fought, actually fought in the Revolutionary War, and and I read a lot of that stuff. He was he was a hellraiser. Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, his opponents thought he was a ruffian, but in truth, he was just um, he was a, a a man of the people because he'd been a brewer. Yeah. You know, taverns were his customers, so a bar was a very comfortable place for him. And the American Revolution, you know, it started in bars. Yeah. And taverns, because yep. uh, that was Sam Adams' home. And when I thought about what do I want to do with this new beer, this whole new idea, um, it wasn't called craft beer then. We were called microbreweries. Yep. I thought, well, I want to do what Sam Adams did. I want to create a revolution. He created American political independence. I want to create beer independence for the United States and show the rest of the world that we can make great world-class beer here in america so that's how 
I came to name my beer Samuel Adams. You know, I, I think it's cool that you, the symbolisms that you've got there, because I think you think you thought that through. I, without question, you, I can I can sense it in everything you're talking. And having read the book, I got that impression as well. But you also launched it on Patriots Day, which is a, a very big day. Was it, was that the Battle of Breed Hill? By the way, was that the same day? Um, no, pa- Patriots Day. Um, I think was uh well actually you know i think it's that's the same a really good question i'm gonna go look it up i'm, I'm actually for those answer. that are listening in you know, i want you to look it up breed battle of breeds hill which a lot of people refer to as bunker hill but it's actually breeds hill um i that you launched in march i think it's the same time but we'll, we'll find that out nonetheless hey did you catch any yes did, it's uh like april yeah um it's like i think the third monday in April, so okay. I learned a little bit of history from you. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. We go. We go. Look it up. How about? Um, did you catch any flack? The fact that you named it after Samuel Adams. Did any of the family members, the 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 you know the heirs of of Samuel Adams or descendants ever give you any crap about it? We, did you have to have any legal issues? With <laughs> well, that? I'm kind of curious. I'm just there's a, a funny story about that. It, it's not in the book because it didn't really have any business lesson. Um, that was applicable to a lot of people that came out of the story. But, yes, there was, in fact, a Judge Samuel Adams, who was a lineal descendant of uh, Sam Adams himself, the patriot and the namesake Mm -hmm. for my beer. And he called me up out of the blue a few years uh, after I started brewing Sam Adams and started giving me grief over it. No, you know, you took my name. And he said, well... To be honest, uh, Your Honor, um, nobody really knew who Sam Adams was until he became a beer. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of lost to history, and yeah. now people know who he is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I ended up sending him a case of Sam Adams. Good for, for you. Uh, Did you ask him for a check? You should. You should said you should be paying me. I made you more famous. Now you can be more famous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't do that, yeah. but. Uh, I had fun. He told me he was a scotch drinker, and I said, well, that's okay. I'll convert you. Yeah. You're ready for something better. I'm going to send you a case of Sam Adams. That's, aw- that's awesome. Hey, so Cat Varley wrote in, and he said, uh, do you really have a patent on the types of beer glasses? Yes, um, we do, because uh, the Sam Adams glass that he's talking about is something that uh, we developed, and you know, it's a good example of something that I talk about in in Quench Your Own Thirst, mm-hmm. which is how important it is to stay innovative and to constantly be uh, creative, pushing boundaries, thinking of new things, and be innovative. Not just you know, for us, not just in making really cool, new, interesting beers, but be innovative in lots of other ways. And one of them was looking at the standard beer glass, this pint glass, and realizing, well, wait a minute, this is not the optimal glass for a big, flavorful, complex beer like Sam Adams Boston Lager. So I took a year. uh, I worked with three PhDs, two in sensory science and one in materials engineering. And out of that, we designed the first functional beer glass that's designed to enhance the flavor of a beer because everybody knows if you're going to have a great wine you're not going to drink it out of a dixie cup or a juice glass you know you're going to drink good wine 
out of a glass that's designed to enhance its flavor. You know, I gotta tell you, thing. I, I gotta say though, Jim, I, when I first heard this, now this is I I, I learned it with wine. All right, and uh, yep. now I didn't know this. I didn't know this until today. With until I was reading my background about the beer glasses, but I, when I first learned this about wine, I thought this was bullshit. I thought, it, well, come on, that's not true. It, it, who cares? It's you know, glasses. So did I. Glass. Yeah, glass is a glass. But then then I went to a, a demonstration where they poured a bottled water in each of the four different glasses, and it tastes different in each glass. So I learned right there that exactly. it does have an impact. And and this is something where we're getting a lot more sophisticated with, with beer drinkers now. They, these guys know this. Yeah, people are starting to be familiar with the Sam Adams, we call it the perfect pint, and with the, the larger idea that uh, we help pioneer, which is design a beer glass um, around the flavors that you want to enhance to uh, upgrade and complement the beer drinker experience, just like wine glasses do. Wow. Hey, speaking of drinking, I, I need to take a break and think about another company right there in Boston who is now they're my namesake for the show, all business uh, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts, my good friends at Dunkin'. So don't forget, after you, before you have a beer, after you have a beer, don't forget my friends at Dunkin' Donuts. I like a double uh, or actually triple quadruple espresso. i got to have one of those every day. And I get that right from Duncan, so don't forget our good friends there. They're good partners up there in Boston. You guys probably get along. You probably see them a lot. I have had plenty of Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> coffee over the years. Absolutely. Because, you know, in Boston, we're very proud of Dunkin' Donuts. We, yeah. we acknowledge Starbucks, but uh, certainly Boston runs on Dunkin'. Yeah, that's, uh, well, the whole Northeast and now across the country. Hey, um... How many? I'm just curious. How many glasses of beer or bottles of beer do you drink a day? Yeah, that's a good question. It's probably uh, two or three uh-huh. most days. Uh-huh. Rarely less. Not that often more. And I'm I'm told uh, by the medical research that that's probably around the optimum amount of beer. Yeah. You know, for uh, a male, that uh, two beers a day is probably healthy. You know, that, that brings up a question, and Curtis, who works for me, he actually said, hey, Jeff, would you mind asking a question? He, one, he wanted to know what was the, the best beer you've ever had, and then second, that kind of deals with that, is, is, is with the business being an alcoholic product, how important is it to remind customers or consumers to drink responsibly? And then, and, and then with that, maybe how much money you're advertising, do you guys try to put it, put against that? Or do you have an amount that you put against it? So three questions in there. Um, we yeah. don't uh, we don't like segregate it yeah. in a separate budget yeah. um, because I think it really should be very fundamental to our approach to beer, which is to treat it with respect by making rich, flavorful beer that isn't meant to be chugged, um, that is very satisfying. And as a result, you know, with a a really big beer like uh, we make at Sam Adams, you tend to drink them not only more slowly, but you you drink mindfully. Mm -hmm. You know, we've spent a lot of money educating people that when you're drinking a good beer like Sam Adams, you want to actually drink uh, for all the flavors and tastes and, and pick up some of these subtleties as, as we were just talking about with the beer glass. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I look at, you know, having been a chief marketing officer at a fortune 100 company, I, I look at what you do 
and I've very, always been very impressed. And I love reading the book because I learned a lot of things in the book as well. But you, there, you used a word just now, which I think is critical and sets you apart from the other companies that are out there in this market, and that's education. You spent a lot of time, and I think you were you know, certainly one of the first with the craft movement of really educating customers on what, what's a good, good beer. And even when we say, hey, you know, advertising the customers to drink responsibly, you don't have to because you're educating them. Yes, and, and some of that comes through in Quench Your Own Thirst because mm-hmm. I talk about, uh, you know, what it was like at the very beginning when we first started selling Sam Adams. And that was one of my biggest obstacles to overcome because uh, people would ask me, well, what's your competition? And I'd say, my competition is ignorance and apathy. Mm-hmm. It's people who don't know about beer and people who don't care about beer. That's, that's a pretty good one. I like that. Do you, would you still, I'm going to ask you a question. You might, hopefully you won't get mad at me, but even if you do, it's okay. Are you still a craft beer? <laughs> I mean, when you when you think about a craft beer, I think about the independents, and you guys are you're big, and you're competing against the big guys, and you are big. But do you, do you consider yourself a craft beer? Sam Adams has been the leading craft beer in America for over thirty years, and um, we are definitely uh, a craft beer. And I think one of the things you see in the book is that um, I started brewing beer in my kitchen 32 years ago, helped start the whole craft beer revolution, and then we've succeeded by continuing to have the heart and the spirit of a craft brewer and, and passion about the quality of our beers and a drive to keep innovating, you know, making cool new beers, sometimes just because that's what we love to do and even now you know 32 years later i'm excited we have a new uh set of beers called the sam adams nitro project and mm-hmm. we figured out how to uh replace the carbonation in beer which you know people almost take for granted um we replace that with nitrogen and that gives you a much smoother creamier almost silky beer uh, in certain styles, and we have a, a nitro coffee stout, we have a nitro um, white ale, we have a nitro IPA, all very innovative beers. And really, that's uh, we've managed uh, to be uh, successful because we kept the heart and the spirit of a craft brewer. So, um, yeah, Sam Adams is definitely still a craft brewer. The Brewers Association, which is the Trade Association for craft breweries definitely uh, includes us in the definition of a craft brewer. So, uh, yeah, maybe someday we'll be so big that uh, you know I'll be buying Anheuser Busch, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> you, you never know. You don't rule it out. Hey, Brian Shepard, I love this. I love when they, they write things like this. He said first. He says, "Thank Jim for making a delicious beer just for him." That was the first thing. I thought that was cool. And then, yeah. and then he went, yeah. yeah, isn't that cool? I think that's awesome. He thinks it's just Yeah, I think it's cool, too, yeah. and he's right. Yeah, so, and, and second, he has a question about 
um, how do you come to decide about a new beer, like the, the double IPA, the new group, group, uh, grapefruit, but also resisting the trend toward non-alcoholic beer? And he said, how do you go about staying innovative with beer types without doing too much to confuse the consumer? I think that's an important one because a lot of times, and you pointed this out in your book, you, you've got to get, you got to stay a little focused, but you, at the same time, you got to keep innovating, right? Yes, um, that's definitely, you know, one of the themes of Quench Your Own Thirst is, you know, walking that line between being innovative, pushing the envelope um, versus doing things that are stupid. Uh, And I have to be honest, uh, because of kind of our, our craft beer mentality, we do do things that are stupid. You just don't know that they're stupid until after you've done them. So, you know, in a normal year, we'll brew about 60 different unique beers that get released to the market, but there's probably another hundred, you know, that didn't make it because we didn't like the way that they taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's possible to be uh, innovative and and still walk that fine line as long as you're willing to kind of embrace failure yeah, and, and know and it's, that a, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay to make a mistake, isn't it? It's about, it's about, you know, people talk about failing fast. I say, no, win fast. And that's really what you're doing. You're winning fast. You, you, you sort those things yeah, out quickly. I, yeah, exactly. So S- Samantha Duncan asks, how do you predict the beer market will change in the next five years, and uh, what do you do to stay relevant through those changes? Well, that's a good question, and I have to confess that I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's hard to predict exactly, but I, in general, I think craft beer is going to continue to grow because once people have had you know, a, a flavorful beer like Sam Adams, it's hard to go back. Uh, so I think the craft beer category can continue to grow. We're all 4,500 of us are... Uh, about 10 or 12% of the, the beer market. Sam Adams, the most successful craft brewer, is a little over 1% of the beer market. So could we get to 2%? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think we could double. K-Pack, who's up in upstate New York, and she's a, a real follower, uh, loves local uh, breweries. And, but she, she asked, How's, how are ciders impacting the business today? Um, I think ciders are uh, a very interesting, very traditional beverage. And if you look, you know, deep into American history, and I know you're a history buff, um, cider was the number one alcoholic beverage until right before the Civil War, uh, when beer overtook it. And, you know, if you go back to, if you remember in 1840 in the presidential campaign, there was Tippecanoe and Tyler too. Um, and William Henry Harrison, Tippecanoe, uh, in the poster, the campaign poster, you see he had his, his leg up on a barrel of cider, of hard cider. And that was meant to show that he was a man of the people, that he drank the people's drinks. So, uh, a few years ago, we decided to take a stab at reviving uh, hard cider here in the United States. And uh, we brought it, we created a new hard cider called Angry Orchard. And that uh, has also uh, sparked a revolution in cider making here and brought back uh, traditional cider making techniques. Ultimately, I'd like to see it bring back some of the traditional apples that no longer 
are cultivated here. So it's another kind of reinforcement of the idea in the book of constantly innovating, challenging yourself. Keep thinking about where are the opportunities because there's always a risk of, you know, if you're successful like Sam Adams was, there's a tendency to rest on your laurels. Um, but we haven't done that. Hey, another business owner is a good friend of mine, is Alan Rubin. He owns Alex Bradley Cigar Company, and he, he asked along along those same lines. He asked a brand building and new product development. You know, what's the methodology that you use there? How how do you decide? You know, when we want to like say Angry Orchard, you want to take out something and go and launch it. What do you do? And what's the process that you use? Um, for us, the product comes first. You know, the, the first thing that we do is make a really amazing, great tasting product. So, for example, um, with something like the new uh, Sam Adams Nitro project, that took three years. We tasted over 60 beers um, on nitrogen to see which ones uh, were improved by uh, the change in, in gas from carbon dioxide to nitrogen, which ones weren't. Um, so we tend to begin with lots of product tasting, um, also known as, as drinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not really till we have a truly superior product yeah. that we then start thinking about, okay, uh, who's going to drink this? What's the name? How are we going to sell it? Um, so to us at to, uh, us at Boston Beer Company, it all starts with a truly superior product. And I, I hope I even took that approach um, to writing Quench Your Own Thirst because that was three years of work, multiple drafts, but I, I didn't want to you know uh, publish it until I felt like I had a very unconventional, almost counterintuitive business book that could really add value to people's decision-making. Well, let me take another break here. So speaking about uh, breaking loose and doing something a little different, we've been talking about Samuel Adams and and being a patriot. Let's talk about Liberty Tax. They're one of our big sponsors and partners right here on All Business, one of the fastest-growing retail prep firms, over 4,000 offices across North America. And by the way, a great seasonal opportunity too. So if you want to get into a, a part-time franchise uh, from time to time, it's a great opportunity for you. So don't don't forget to look to Liberty. So speaking of, of new products, so, so today you're a lot bigger company. All right. Now you've got this background, Boston Consulting Group. You went to Harvard MBA, but you've got your roots back in Cincinnati. You know, it's when you're early, and I have having bought and sold you know hundreds of businesses myself. I know that when when I'm the boss and I'm and it, early, I could do a lot of things a lot faster and quicker and make my own decisions. Now you've become kind of a bigger company. When you get a bigger company, how do you do that? How do you decide? You know, very quickly. I want to do this or I want to do that. Is it, It's not the same as it used to be, is it? Yes, it actually is. And, and let me see if I can explain it. Um, That's cool. The first thing about growing and getting to be a bigger company, especially for me, you know, the founder, is that my role stays the same in terms of being the keeper of the culture and the keeper of the values 
and somebody whose job it is to maintain the the passion and the excitement and the enthusiasm that uh, we've had as a small craft brewer. We have to keep that that same culture and passion and enthusiasm because that's how we've been successful. And I don't want people to like say, oh, well, we've been successful, now we have to change. We don't have to change. We have to stay true to all the culture and values that got us here. Yeah. And from my point of view as the founder, one of the great things about growing is that now I can hire people to do things that I don't necessarily love and want to do. Um, and generally, you know, those people are going to be better at doing those things than I do so that I can focus my time on the things that are the most important for me and for the business, which is making great beer, continuing to raise uh, the quality level of our beer, and then continuing to have the time to innovate uh, and to pursue new ideas across the business. So that leads me to a question that Nick Calgarakis, and I, Nick, I apologize if I slaughtered your name, but you know, pretend I've been drinking a few Sam Adams and we'll make up for it. But he, he said he, he dealt with many of the employees at Boston Beer, and he says, he, see, he says it seems like you do have a very unique culture. And he wants to know, how do you instill this culture? So you just got through talking about that. So what do you look for when you're hiring to maintain it? I think this is a great, a great thing I also got from the book. So how do, how do you – what do you look for, and how do you hire to maintain it? Yes, that's a really good question, and, and there is a chapter that uh, yep. you referenced in the book about you know how do you hire people, and um, my experience has been that uh, you hire people for not their education, not their resume, not their experience, but rather you hire them for their energy, their motivation, their values, their behaviors, you know, how do they naturally act? Because you can teach them uh, the skills to do the job, but you can't teach them to be energetic, talented, capable, resourceful people. Um, that and so that's what we hire for those innate uh, characteristics and capabilities and as a result we have lots of training programs we do a lot of work on training and developing great people when we bring them in but it has to start with great people and I'm, I'm glad that he picked up on that uh, when he interacts with people at Boston Beer Company they are special yeah. you know you just get a sense of of pride and of commitment and uh, just the ability to persevere and accomplish objectives. Do they all have to be passionate about beer? Do they all have to be like real believers? They have to drink the Kool-Aid? No, you don't have to 
love beer, but I, uh, to be totally honest, it does help. It does help. It, it really does, does it, help. It does. It does. Hey, I, one more break here because I, I want to get back to another great question, uh, and it's for Sanebox. This is a brand-new sponsor of ours, and uh, the, i got to tell you, I drink the Kuwait on this product because the number one complaint I talk about business executives is too much email, and I've had problem with this for years until I found Sanebox. Sanebox, S-A-N-E, Box. And they free up hours and hours. They learn your emails. They learn your inbox. They sort stuff out. I wake up in the morning. I used to have 50, 60, 70 emails. Now I have like eight or nine. So it's a it's a must-have executive tool. And you can get it at www.sanebox.com forward slash. And didn't type in Hazlet, Hazlet, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T to my name. And you will get two weeks free right off the bat, right there. That's what you do. Or just text me or email me or tweet me, and I'll get you the, the link for SaneBox. Well, I got another question, and this comes from my son. And he loves beer, uh, both he and his wife. And he and well, he I, comes from a good family. He, ah, there, that's nice of you. That's nice. That is very nice of you. And, and he, I thought this was a good question, too. He, he uh, In a commodity-driven market, because by and large, you know, when you look at what we used to have, um, other than taste, quality, how do you get your product to stand out above your competitors? I mean, you're competing with hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands. I don't know. How many How many brewery craft brewers are there out there, Jim? There are 4,500 craft Holy brewers moly. in the United States today. And the question is a good one of and how do we compete in that kind of environment, particularly when you look and say, well, wait a minute, 4,500 craft brewers and Sam Adams remains the number one craft brewer in the United States after 32 years. Um, the question I think people have is, well, you must be doing something right. Uh, what is it? And um, I think it's a combination of things. But if I could boil it down, it is um, focusing on a unique tasting, distinctive product that uh, the Boston Lager is, which is a, it's a very difficult beer to make. And even if you had the original recipe, what we have done for 32 years is as we've grown and become successful, we've used those uh, resources and capabilities to continue to improve the quality of that glass, that bottle of Boston Lager that you get by doing things like working with our hop growers in Germany um, to change the, the date of harvest, to push it back a little, to let more aromatics mm -hmm. form in the hops, working with uh, our malt producer to develop a, a proprietary roasting of the malt that goes into Sam Adams to sort of smooth it out. It's like you know, make a piece of furniture and then the last thing you do is to take that really fine sandpaper and sand it down so it's like completely smooth um, to working with our wholesalers and this is something that nobody sees, it's invisible, you never hear about it, but we have uh, changed the supply chain in beer and taken weeks out of the amount of inventory in the supply chain to make sure that, uh, and we call it the Precious Beer Program, to make sure that you get Sam Adams uh, fresher than 
other beers because there's less inventory in the supply chain. So it's a combination of, you know, focusing on what uh, differentiates you with, uh, and for Boston Lager, that's a unique taste, and then being relentlessly passionate about innovating around how do I continue to improve that? Yes, we've been successful. Yes, we're the leading craft brewer, but how do we continue to earn that position of leadership? Oh, man, I could spend a lot more time, and I can't wait to get together with you face-to-face so I can uh, have a beer or two over. We're talking with Jim Cook, Quench Your Own Thirst, Business Lessons Learned Over a Beer or Two, and we've learned a lot today. And, uh, Jim, you don't know this, but— Can uh, I give you one more? Absolutely. Go. This is a bonus. This is going to be like a bonus section. Which I think (laughs) is—well, we'll make people feel good, but one of the chapters in the book is about— you know, giving back and remembering where you came from and the proceeds, uh, the, the profits from quench your own thirst actually go to a a philanthropic program that we started eight years ago. It's called, uh, Sam Adams brewing the American dream program. And we make, uh, micro loans and provide coaching and counseling to, up-and-coming awesome. businesses in food, beverage, and even brewing. We, we're actually helping other craft brewers uh, get off the ground and, and succeed. So um, if you when you read the book, hopefully you'll get some great, important, worthwhile lessons, and you can feel good knowing that the profits from the book uh, are going to support hundreds of small businesses all over the United States, and hopefully there'll be some of those people will read the book, go out and start their own business, and uh, get a loan and some coaching and counseling from us to help them succeed. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And what you didn't know is that um, as a result of me reading the book myself, I talked to our editors. We're going to make it our C-Suite Book of the Month feature coming up, and this is like we're going to get this out to about a million and a half executives and sending it out and featuring it on the website. So uh, find it. You can Look, you can find this book everywhere. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it in Barnes & Noble. You can find it at independent bookstores. And certainly you can go to C-Suite Book Club. You're going to be able to find it there as well. And uh, pick it up. You know, Not only you learn some great business lessons, but you're also helping a lot of other businesses get started and be successful. And hopefully they can be half as successful as Jim has been with the Boston Beer company. So Jim, thank you very much. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world. Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, I always like to end every single show with what I learned. I learned a lot of things. First of all, I learned I like this guy. I like this guy. Sounds like even, you know, from the interview, you might have had a beer or two. No, I'm just joking. Um, But anyway, I think what's really cool that I learned about this is that you can be in a niche market and be big. You know, he took a niche, niche product with, uh, you know, a lot of people just like certain kinds of tastes, certain ways, and now he's taking it and he's taking smaller, smaller audiences and growing them big. And he's showing you don't have to accept, you know, what everyone was feeding you before. You can go off and do it on your own. I also like the way he launched on Patriot's Day. He launched around 
uh, something that was true to the brand. Samuel Adams, a little ruffian, a little different, a little taken on the the big guys, which those Redcoats, remember that? Uh, back in 1776, little ruffians up there in Boston, but thank goodness for them because now we're a free country. And that's awesome. We owe it to Samuel Adams. So tonight, I shall tip a Samuel Adams in honor of Jim Cook's book. And if you do anything, learn, you need to buy this. You need to buy this book, Quench Your Own Thirst, Business Lessons Learned Over a Beer or Two. And so that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on Play.it right here on CBS Radio. Make sure tell your friends to download and subscribe while you're drinking a beer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.